As Jesus continued his journey to Jerusalem, he traveled through Samaria and Galilee. As he was traveling a village, ten lepers met him. They stood at a distance from him and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. And one of them, realizing he had been healed, returned, glorifying God in a loud voice. And he fell at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus said in reply, Ten were cleansed, were they not? Where are the other nine? Has none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God? Then he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. The Gospel of the Lord. Usually the story of someone being released from jail doesn't become newsworthy to an international audience. But over the summer, a man by the name of Dennis Labonte found a way to make that happen for himself. After serving about five months in jail for charges of assault and battery, he was told that he was free to go now. And he was sentenced to some anger management classes during his upcoming nine months of probation that he was just set to begin Minutes after his release, underline that, minutes after his release, he was observed on surveillance cameras attempting to steal 26 different vehicles in the parking lot of the jail, including two sheriff's office vehicles. He could be seen grabbing the handle, attempting to break in, even getting so far as trying to hotwire one of the over two dozen cars and ATVs and pickup trucks that were in this lot. And when confronted by police officers, he didn't even try to lie or or spin this in any way at all. He straight out admitted he was trying to steal a car as a way of getting home. So he was rearrested, brought right back into the jail that he'd just been let out of. Now with a slew of a whole bunch of new charges, 26 counts of attempted burglary, one for each car that he tried to get into one count of grand theft auto, one for auto burglary, and also a count for violating the demands of his parole. And the headlines kind of captured people's shock at this ridiculous story. Three kind of stood out the most. The first said, Darwin Olympics, guy just released from jail tries to steal car. The second one was, does this qualify as the worst time and place to steal a car? To the final one, which was, the best of all to me, very blunt and direct, moron of the morning. Boom. <laughs> Besides the idiocy of the crime, what made it international news, which was, it was also amazing because if you typed it on Google, you got all these different stories from all over different countries and languages. So there's like, that's the yeah, French, that's my French version. But there it was, there was the guy's mugshot and there it was in the French headline. But what shocked reporters and commentators was the absolute lack of any change in this man. Now, it's a sad statistic that a large number of people who've made bad choices, which 
results in their ending up in the criminal justice system oftentimes find themselves ending up there again. But that usually happens long after someone's been released from prison, not in the jail parking lot. Just imagine, try to picture this scene. The guy's literally walking out of jail into the parking lot. He's still adjusting his street clothes after leaving the prison jumpsuit behind. He's taking steps away from this place of confinement, this place of fear and anger and probably all kinds of negative things that we can't or don't even want to imagine. And his reaction is, I got to steal a car. Let me engage in an activity that might result in me returning back to the place that I just couldn't wait to get away from. It's hard to wrap our minds around that because it's more than stupid. It's more than arrogant. It's the height of being ungrateful for this freedom after this imprisonment. It seems like nothing has changed for him at all. And in a sense, the fact that minutes after being behind bars, he was right there again, I guess you could say that's actually the case. And I guess that's why the story, that story from the summer came to mind when I was reading this gospel, because those are some of the same observations you could have with these nine lepers who were healed and who don't return to Jesus. This scripture passage isn't meant to be an etiquette lesson. This encounter is more than just about how to be polite, like mom and dad or Miss Manners has to explain, when someone cures you of leprosy, you go and say thank you. No. <laughs> leprosy is a horrific disease. And in many ways, it cruelly imprisons its victims. But unlike vic- criminals dealing with a punishment for, for some infraction, for a leper, it's not their fault. It's not their bad choices or sins which resulted in their being struck down with this incurable, debilitating, and vile illness. The sickness was, was so gross and was so contagious that those who were suffering from it were separated from their loved ones and from the rest of the community. They had to be isolated, and they were forced to live with fellow lepers. It was such a frightening and dreaded disease that a leper would have to go around wearing a bell around their neck like an animal so that those who weren't sick could hear or know when, when one of those ill with this disease was coming near them. And then they would just run away when they heard that. So that just gives you an idea of like the living hell that these, these 10 lepers had experienced. We can't even really imagine the, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual pain that they had experienced. And in this gospel, we read that this, this group of 10 here, Jesus is coming through this town on his journey. They've heard so many things about him. And so they, they try to get near him, as near as they can, being in, in their condition, physically weakened, socially estranged, as they see the glares, hear the worried whispers of townspeople when they witness that this group has just happened to show up. And so they stand at a distance. This group of ten gets within earshot and they cry out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. What a prayer. Think about what they were asking for, what they were thinking. Not a cure, not a healing, pity. They felt bad about themselves and their condition and their situation. And they simply wanted Jesus to to empathize and feel bad for them. They didn't even hope 
or imagine or dream that anything could happen for them, that anything would change. But Jesus saw them. And when Jesus sees them, just like when Jesus sees us, he's not in the pity business. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry you're having a rough time. He sees their pain. He sees their desolation. He sees their despair. He sees their lack of hope. And you can imagine the love in his heart and his mind, even his face welling up as he smiles back and maybe with a wink says, go show yourselves to the priests. The very ones that the society had empowered to determine the illness and banish these people from the community. Miracles don't necessarily have to be big, dramatic moments that stand out like a burning bush or walking on water. God's intervention in our lives often happens simply as we're living our lives. And that's what happened. As they do what Jesus tells them, they experience a miracle, a bona fide, awesome, life-changing, family-changing, community-changing miracle simply as they were walking. But while they were now freed from this illness, which had physically and emotionally and spiritually imprisoned them, for nine of the ten, while the leprosy was gone, they're still imprisoned emotionally and spiritually. They don't allow that miracle to sink in and to change them. Instead, they allow the desolation and the isolation to remain. Maybe they were letting fear or worry undermine this gift and sow seeds of doubt, saying to themselves, this might just be temporary. It might come back. Don't get too excited. Maybe they let self-centeredness rob the joy of anything but ordinary that happened this day, saying to themselves, well, now that the leprosy is gone, I can go back and live the life I lived before. The point of prayers being answered and the point of a miracle is that when they've happened, when we've experienced them, we don't want to ever go back to our life as before. We recognize that in Jesus, he's bringing healing, he's bringing restoration, that he makes the impossible possible, that he demonstrates time and time again that he's bigger than the biggest fears, the greatest trials, the most insurmountable of obstacles. The one guy gets it. The one guy realizing it stops and says to the other nine, whoa, we're healed. We're not lepers anymore. That Jesus guy didn't have pity on us. He healed us. We don't have to live like this anymore. His return was more than just a a polite gesture. It was a declaration of faith. As he realized what has happened, he glorifies the God who has done great things for him. Like the man released from jail, and like the ten lepers, we've been offered tremendous freedom. Jesus offers us freedom from the things that bind us, from the things that diminish us, the things that limit us. He has worked and he continues to work miracles for all those who turn to him, who cry out to him. He doesn't look on us with pity, but with love. What are the fears and the worries and the concerns that are weighing you down right now? 
What are the obstacles that you're facing? The people that you're praying for? In a few moments, the bread and wine will be brought up as they are at every Mass, purposely after we pray the prayer of the faithful, where we give voice to all of our intercessions for the church, the world, the nation, our community, ourselves, and the extremes of great worry and great promise that rest in the deepest places of our hearts. And when we look at that bread and wine coming up, we see the most ordinary, most mundane, most routine being presented to our loving Father. And we enter into a prayer of tremendous praise and thanksgiving. In fact, the word Eucharist means thanksgiving. And we know that in his goodness, in his greatness, in that Eucharistic prayer, Jesus becomes real. Present body, blood, soul, and divinity under the appearances of bread and wine. And even more remarkably than that body and blood are offered, they're given to us. But at every Mass, we're invited to offer all those, those prayers from those deepest recesses of our hearts. Even more, we're invited to offer our hearts, our souls, our body, our very selves to be in union with that bread and wine and place them on that altar. Trusting and rejoicing that the God who can take the ordinary and make it extraordinary take the bread and wine and make it his very self, can, does, and will do extraordinary things with each of us. But that's something we have to let him do for us. His gift of freedom is something that has to be received and utilized in complete freedom as well. The one grateful leper and the one bad prisoner turned worse car thief, along with the other nine lepers, remind us of that reality. Will we rejoice in God's gift and allow ourselves to be changed by it? Will we recognize the changes that God is doing and allow our hearts to be overwhelmed by the lavishness of his love and movement in our lives? Jesus' prayer is that we will, that we will set our eyes solely on Christ, not returning to any self-destructive patterns, nor allowing anyone or anything to ever distance us from him.